Morning, everybody, again. Here we are. As you can tell, there's quite a bit up here on stage. We have a lot to do. It's clearly, you can tell, it's our upper room series. Now, remember, to kind of explain how our teaching is kind of working this year, remember, we're doing a, the whole year, we're preaching through the life of Christ. Remember, we're going from his life here on earth, and we're even going to hit some things even after within the life of Christ toward the end of the year, because it's all his life. Uh, But then, during each of the upper rooms, we're going to focus on parables. So every upper room is going to kind of have a different parable. Uh, They kind of give some fun opportunities for things to do, obviously, when we have the kids uh, in the service with us to go through some parables, as you can tell by what's uh, in front of you here. So this is our upper room service. Remember the time in which we remember Christ. We remember his sacrifice. We, we reflect on all that it means for us. And as a part of that service, we keep the kids in the service so that they can partake and understand what communion is. It's a direct command from Christ to practice these things. Uh, so we want the kids to understand and partake uh, in communion. So with that, uh, there's always a little fun for the kids. So kids, come on up we got lots to do and so much time to do it in. There we go. Excitement is coming. Here we go. Come on up. we got lots. You couldn't bring them up. They wouldn't come with you, huh? <laughs> All right. So here we go. You're on the stage. You are on the stage. Look at that. You love it. All right. So we're going to go through a little bit of a parable uh, today. So we're going to go through the parable of the sower. Sometimes it gets called the parable of the soil, but the parable of the sower. So we have four different things that we need to look at. So here are, here are our seeds. What are these? Nerds. Nope. See, you got he catches on quick. Seeds, exactly. So no, these are not nerds. These are seeds. It's, it says nerds, but remember, it's different. It's a story. All right, so Jesus is telling a story, right? And he's going along, and he says there's this farmer. What do farmers do? They do ride tractors, but not in Jesus' time. What do they do? They do give people food. And how do they get food to people? Yes. Here, Ken, do you want to be a farmer? So here, come here. So Jesus says the farmer first took seeds and he threw them on. Don't throw them too hard because we don't want to vacuum up. But throw them kind of here on this first little section here. Now, is there anything? Is there any dirt there? No. Is there any way those seeds would grow? No. Because this is kind of what Jesus is going to say. This is like the path. And the path is a place where they would walk and it was dirt just got padded down over and over by steps, padded, padded. So there was no place for anything to grow. So then he continues. Who likes rocks? All right, come here. So this isn't your pride, but here, get some rocks out of here. Take like two handles and put them, put them right up here. Get some more than it. Get some more. Let's get some, get a lot of rocks. Put a lot of rocks up here. Get more, get more. There we go. We don't want to go skimpy on our rocks here. So this is what he says. He says there's rocks all in this. You know what? Let's just go. So here we have. So he says here's these rocks. 
But you know, there is still, even within those rocks, well, there's no cups, but there is just a little bit of dirt. It says there's some dirt there, there's a little bit. All right. Now, Matt, you want, you want to be a farmer? You want to farm? You want, all right, come here. So get some seeds. Here's your seeds. Now, throw, put them on the rocks in the dirt there. Yep. Now, what do you think? Are those seeds going to grow? No. Maybe. You said, yeah, Luke. You think so? Yeah. What? <laughs> Man, she's like, I don't know. But yeah, so a little bit. Jesus is going to say, you know what? These are going to grow a little bit, right? There's some dirt there, but really these rocks, they're going to get in the way. And it's not going to provide any kind of opportunity for growth. So then... His story continues. Anybody work in the, the yard with their parents? How about this? Have you ever walked through the woods and like gotten stuck by something on your leg or grab a thorn? Anybody grab any of those kind of things? All right, anybody in the audience? Anybody ever been walking through? Yes, you get stuck by these thorns. So Jesus goes on and he says, hey, Luke, come here. Here, put these... Put all these weeds on the table here. Put all this up on the table here. Put it up here. So, yeah, he's going to say there's going to be some weeds here. Yeah, there's some stuff here, all entangled there. All of this stuff here. And, you know, and there's, again, there's some. Notice I'm in control of the dirt. So here we go. So, so there's a little bit of dirt. Now, who hasn't been a farmer yet? All right, look, here you go. You could be, there you go. Take some of these. Remember, don't, these are seeds. So throw them on this dirt here, right in here. There's, there is seeds everywhere. It's okay. That's right, Alex will clean it up. So as we go through all these things, now, these seeds are going to grow. Will these seeds grow? Okay, they'll grow, but what's going to happen when they grow too big? What's it going to grow into? The weeds there, right? So these were going to grow up, and these weeds, all this stuff here is going to get entangled in everything, and it's going to choke them, right? They're not going to be able to grow anywhere. Bye-bye. Yeah, there you go. All right. Now we come to the final one. All right. And Jesus says, the last one, again, I'm in control of the dirt, so I'm going to come here, and he's going to say, oh, this last one is going to be all just dirt. dirt. All right. So who has a battle? Come here. All right. So here, take these, take the seeds, slash nerds, and throw them on the dirt there. There we go. All right. So Jesus says this fourth soil is where we're going to see growth, and we're going to see abundant growth. But see, it's hard to kind of see growth. Nerds, one, aren't going to grow, and seeds aren't going to grow. So to kind of picture this, I got some of this stuff they call let it snow. Now, teachers, how much of this should I use? How much does this expand? <laughs> Any teachers? Should I just use a little bit? <laughs> a lot? All right, we're going to go for it. All right, so this is what's going to happen. So this is like kind of like those flowers, right? So 
All right, we're going to see what's going to happen. Again, Alex cleans up. So Jesus said the flowers here, he says, this is going to grow. He says, in a good soil, it's going to have abundant growth. What's abundant mean? Is that a big word for you guys? Abundant. Is that, so it's going to say 100-fold, 30-fold, 60-fold of growth. So what, is plant, what do the plant need to grow? Water. All right, who wants? All right, Kenzie, come here. All right, I'm going to back away. No, I'm just kidding. I'm right, going to take this water, and I want you to pour it into the bowl. You're going to water the plant. Hurry. Guys, come here. Everybody watch. All right, here we go. Whoop. <laughs> Take out. All right, here we go. Pour the water in there. What? <laughs> Whoa, look at that. What's it doing? It's getting bigger and bigger. Well, it looks like snow, doesn't it? Look at that. It was just a little bit in there. Go the whole thing. See what happens. Yeah, there we go. Looks like just water. Look at that. It just started out as just a little bit, and then it grows into this much. Sure, go ahead. Does it feel like snow? Kind of. Kind of? All right. So, so there you have it. So Jesus says this little bit of stuff is going to grow if we're in the right soil to be abundant and bountiful in our connection with him. So, all right. What was that? Is that the parable of the sower? All right. Give it up for the kids, the farmers. Yeah. Put that there. No, no, no. All right. So here you guys go. You guys can get some lovely candy as you go back. Uh, I don't know. Take a few things, a piece of candy. You know, all the, it's like, it's like Halloween all over again. There's only one thing of sour in there. I knew that was going to probably be a problem, but there's only one thing in there. There you go. All right. And then you guys can go back to your seats. Great job. You can go find them. What you looking for? You just keep going, huh? There you go. There you go. All right, all right. There you go. All right. There you go. Go find your... All right. Now I got a lot to move on. Oh, good. Now let's not make... We'll just slide this to the side. Because I'll probably reference it. There we go. Thanks to KidZone for the dirt as well. You'll get plenty back from those things. All right. There we go. Oh, good. You got the heavy one. Perfect. All right. Talk amongst yourselves a little bit. Talk. Thanks, Frank. All right. Frank, you want candy for that? You did a great job. You want some candy? All right. All right. So, so, as we go through that, we see this parable that, he, that Jesus was teaching. And, and he's talking to his disciples here, giving this example. Then the, the thing that comes on now is, well, what does all this mean as we come to this? We, we think about these parables, and, and Jesus would use these over and over again. And that's what we're going to think about today. We're going to think first about why he taught in parables. And then we're going to think about what did this parable mean. So let's go ahead, pray, and get into our study for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time to come and hear from your word, to sing songs of praise, of worship to you, Lord. Lord, we're, we're excited to be here. We're excited to be with our family of faith fellowship, Lord. Help us to encourage, strengthen each other, and push each other on. 
uh, in our walks uh, with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, today we're going to look at why parables. And I think one thing we see is people love stories, right? It's why everybody goes home and just spends hours on Netflix. It's why Craig watches Hallmark movies. All these things is because we love stories. We love the good and the bad within stories. It's why it's a, it's a billion-dollar industry, the idea of telling stories. And I believe that the same was true during Jesus' time, that, that people would just go about telling stories, thinking of things, reflecting on things. And Jesus would now use stories to explain these truths about God and his kingdom. It's similar to how, as we preach, we would share stories as we preach to make it relative to these things. So as you hear a story, you're like, oh, I get what you're saying. I understand the point you're trying to make. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. Uh, But I'm actually going to start in the middle. And the middle is where Jesus explains why he uses these parables. And in verse 10, the disciples ask him this very question. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, it says this, Then disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus begins his answer then in verse 13. He says, And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Okay, now we're getting some context into the setting that we have here for this story. Jesus explains that there are two groups. We see this by the words he uses. He says, you and them. So who do you think Jesus is describing in verse 10 when he says, you, verse 11? It's a discussion he's having with the disciples in private after he's already taught this parable. So as he's talking to you, he is referring to the disciples. So then, The question becomes, who is the them in this passage, the they that he is also talking to? Well, if you look back at at verse 2, you'll see that a crowd had gathered for this story. So here we have these two areas. We have you and them. We have the disciples as one group, and then we have the crowd as this other group that is getting instruction at this time. It goes on in that passage as you see the word secrets. Now, this isn't some kind of secret that you would kind of get in school and, like, pass down and whisper about. When the Scripture talks about secrets, a better word sometimes is the word mystery. And what it's talking about is something that was not quite revealed in the Old Testament, but is now being revealed in the New Testament. Paul will use it when when talking about the church. We don't really get a lot of instructions or anything at all about the church in the Old Testament. So as Paul is revealing these truths about the church, he's saying this was, is a mystery to many of you. But now this is revealed. He'll also talk about the mystery that was revealed of the Gentiles being part of the church. All this stuff were secrets from the Old Testament that are now being revealed in this New Testament teaching. All, got, all part of God's plan, but it's something now being revealed to the people. He says, this is for you, the secrets. And then he goes on to say, the kingdom. Now, the kingdom, as we know, is what the Jews thought would mean by the Messiah coming and setting up his reign 
in the kingdom. That, that he would come and rule over the nations. This is what Messiah would do. But as we get into the context here, we're going to see that the Jews will reject his coming in this kingdom. And we're going to look at that in the chapters preceding to this. But instead, we'll see a kingdom that is still to come, a future kingdom, a millennial kingdom. And again, if you want to hear more about that, come on out at 9 a.m. during the Revelation class. Shameless plug, I know. All right. So as we go back into this, secrets of this kingdom, this kingdom that was revealed in the New Testament now, a kingdom that he is speaking about, and all these things and all these parables talk about that. But we come back to these two groups, the disciples and the crowd. So in verse 12, he goes on to say more. He says, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, two groups. Here we see the ones who have, talking about the disciples, having an abundance. Think of that snow. I'm wondering if it's still going to expand as I keep preaching. And if I look over one time, it's going to be overflowing. But I think it's done expanding. But in abundance to what you have will grow. So then the other group must be the ones who have not from this passage. Things that will be taken away from them. So here again, the haves and the have-nots, the disciples and the crowd, two groups being taught within this area. So then he goes on to verse 13 to address one of these groups. So in verse 13 he says, This is why I speak to them, crowd, in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So he speaks in parables because the crowd thinks they are seeing. They think they hear. But then they really don't hear at all. And they really don't understand what is saying. So as he's speaking these things, he is exposing what the people already really think about him. If they look upon Christ, if they think upon him as the Messiah, they hear these stories and they want to hear more. Or, if they've already closed off their eyes, if they've already closed off their ears, he's telling them these parables, and then they go, oh, he's just telling another story again. Who cares? It's not important to me. I don't need to understand what he's talking about. So he's saying it's a way of exposing somebody's heart as he goes through these things. And then if you look at verse 16, you see the change in the audience. Back to you. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many of the prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So here again, we come full circle in understanding the reason for these parables to test the heart of the listener. It's almost like a spiritual examination. Is the person hearing the story really open to the message of Jesus? Or is their heart just hardened to the message of Jesus? And they don't really care about what is happening. 
He says, look, the prophets, and, and the quote from Isaiah is about Jesus telling Isaiah, look, you're going to go to people, and they're not going to listen to you. You're going to go and proclaim my message, and they're not going to care what you have to say at all. And then he says, look, the prophets, they wish they could see what you see. They spoke about these things, and they never got to see them. But Jesus is saying, you disciples, you're seeing what they longed for. And then the hearts of the other people are hardened. And I tell them these stories because they'll never understand what this message is. If the person is open, it will spark more conversation. And we see that. Jesus will explain parables in a smaller group of people as he goes about. It exposes that the person really cares about what Jesus is saying. So you can hear the parables as either furthering somebody's heart or completely closing their eyes to the message of Jesus. The crowd that Jesus is referring to had a, a mixture of attitudes about him, trying to see if they would follow Christ or if they would continue to follow their, their old Jewish ways. The crowd must make a choice. And we really see this when we get into the full context of what this scripture is talking about. And remember, the, the chapter headings and the verses and the chapters are, are all for us, for reference. But oftentimes, chapters overlap with each other to give us a big picture of what is happening, and that's what we see here. So look at the beginning of, of chapter 13. How does it begin? What does it say? It says, that same day, which tells us we're kind of into a, a bigger story of something that is already playing out. So when we see it on that same day, we've got to realize, okay, somewhere... Scripture must tell us what day it is. So you kind of turn back through your pages and trying to find, okay, where is it listed for what day it is? So if you go back and you look at chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, At the same time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So on that same day, we get this combination between chapter 12 in chapter 13, because 13 says that same day. Chapter 12 says on the Sabbath, these things started to happen. So it connects these two chapters. So it's kind of one big story just going through on everything. And it's also some commentators will also say even chapter 11 plays into it, but we don't have time uh, to discuss all that. But the important thing that you note from chapter 12, if you look through it, is a constant rejection of Jesus by the Pharisees. You'll go through that, and it is after rejection, after rejection. The first thing is they reject him because he's doing things on the Sabbath. He's working on the Sabbath. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's doing miracles on the Sabbath. And then in chapter 12, they even go on to say that the miracles you are performing, you're performing by the power of Satan. So you want to talk about some rejection of Christ. It is all through chapter 12. And then in chapter 12 is where they demand a sign. The Pharisees say, show us a sign that you are what we expected. And Jesus says, you're not going to see a sign except for the sign of Jonah. And what he's talking about is resurrection. But over and over, we see rejection as this leads into this parable. Now, there's two more important things to point out from chapter 12 before we can understand this parable. Look back to chapter 12, verse 1, and where was he walking through? It says, on a Sabbath, him and his disciples were walking through a grain field. 
And we're going to see as that plays out within our parable today. Then also, in Matthew 12, 33, Jesus mentions the idea of good and bad fruit. That you will know who are my followers by their good fruit. You will know who are not my disciples by their bad fruit, by what they reproduce. And that all leads us into this parable that we have for us today. So in quick review, before moving to an explanation of the parable, the parable exposed people's hearts. They either keep their eyes closed or they open their eyes more to the message of Christ. And in this case, this is one of the best parables you can preach on because Jesus explains it himself. It's not why I picked it, but it is a great reason. There are so many parables where he won't explain, but this is one where he explains. So let's start. So he starts with the seed. Matthew calls it the word of the kingdom. In the account from the parable from Luke, Luke identifies the seed as the word of God. So we have the message is the word of God. It is the message being spread throughout the kingdom about the good news of Jesus Christ. The kingdom is here for an opportunity. Jesus is here for us. The sower, the farmer in this case, we see, we believe it's, it's, it's Christ. It's Christ who is now here present on earth for them, going about spreading the good news of Christ. So then the focus now shifts to the four soils. Let's see what we have here. Jesus says this in verse 19 about the first soil. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. I was thinking of words to describe each of these things, and as I came to this one, I thought about the word disinterested. So here we have this first soil just flat out disinterested in the word of God. They hear the word of God, takes no root. Remember on this table there, there's, there's, there's no dirt. There is nothing. It was a pathway, a walked path between the fields. You ever been like to the Beachmont corn maze? If you ever been there, you know, people walk and they trot in on the path and it gets harder and harder and harder. That's what was going on here. People just kept walking and there was no place for this soil, for the seeds to grow on this. The reality of this world is that there are just some people who just flat out could care less about the message of God. They hear it and just reject it immediately. Satan even mentions the role, I mean, Jesus even mentions the role that Satan plays in this. Scripture talks about him being the lion, just ready to pounce and destroy those who want to approach the good news of the kingdom. This seed has no chance to grow, doesn't care, nothing within it. So as you look at this story, you think about the context we're in, and you think about chapter 12, and I think we see this as the Pharisees. Now, we do know through Scripture there are examples of Pharisees coming to Christ, but as you look back to this chapter and this rejection, it is flat-out rejection from the Jewish people and of the Pharisees. They were this hard soil rejecting its leaders, leading their people astray, completely disinterested in anything that had to be said. Like I said, you might have people in your life, people in your family, at work, who are just flat out, you bring up the gospel, and they say, nope, I don't want to hear it. I have turned off to it. I don't want to hear it. doesn't mean we stop. We keep praying for them. And we pray that the Spirit would work in their lives, but there is just no interest at all in the gospel. Jesus goes on, 
to explain now the second soil in verse 20. He says, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root himself, but endures for a little while. When tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, this was the hardest one for me to kind of find and thinking for, but I finally came, and it's not perfect, but the word I came up with was disingenuine. Disingenuine. And Jesus says they hear the word, they receive it with joy, it's exciting, but because of the rocky soil there, there's no roots. When a tough time comes, when the rough weather comes, the plant won't last. It will just be blown away and never. There's a little bit of light from the gospel. Uh, You know, maybe this gospel is true. Maybe Jesus really is something. But there's really no chance to grow. For for this person, when the rough times come, when the tribulation comes, when the persecution comes, they leave. And they they no longer want to be a part of Christ. Are there any kind of free trial people in this room? You know, the kind of people who just sign up for something because it's a free trial. But when the time comes for that bill to come, for that seven-day trial, you're like, whoop, cancel. I do it all the time. In fact, uh, this, I think it was Christmas Eve. Was there, a, there was like a Thursday night game that was just on the NFL network. And we have DirecTV streaming. We don't get the NFL network. So I was like, I was cruising the internet and seeing, all right, there's got to be something out there that I can get for a free trial just to watch this one game. I don't even remember what I got, but I got something, hopefully not some kind of virus thing or anything, but something that we could watch the game and we enjoyed it. And it was a seven-day free trial. So what did I do after the game was over? Get, click, I don't want it. I don't want that bill showing up in my house. Click it, gone. I, I, I got my use out of it. And see, I wasn't really interested in, in having the service. I just really wanted it for my own purpose to watch one thing. And and I think we see this example in Scripture when we think about Jesus. Remember when he feeds the multitudes? When he's giving this bread of life to these people, he's feeding the 5,000. And later on in the story, he's going to say, look, you people are only following me because I gave you food. You're not really looking. You're not really interested in having what I have to say You're interested in the miracles that maybe I perform unless it's filling your belly up with food. And then in that same section of Scripture in John chapter 6, Jesus is going to lay out what it really means to be a follower. And then what happens to those people who just wanted the food? It's one of those verses no one ever wants to say because it's John 6, 66. I don't think it was planned that way, but that's just the way it is. It's John 6, 66 where it says, And then many of them turned away from him, and never followed him. So, so they wanted to follow him. They, they got these good things, but when the time came for the bill to be paid, when the time came for the tribulation and the persecution to be done, they said, nah, I'm out. They were disinterested in all that really Christ had to offer him. They were disingenuous about really following Christ. They had no roots, and they fell away. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit, because you hear that word fall away, and you think, what's happening there? We'll come back and talk about falling away, because we're certainly sure that we're not talking about losing salvation. So then Jesus moves in to the third soil. And in verse 22, he says this. He says, As for what was sown among the thorns, 
This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. So so far we have disinterested, we have disingenuine, and now I'm going to call this one distracted. This is one that is just distracted by all that is around it. This person says they believe, I know I need Jesus, but the cares of this world, the thorns, and as we see the weeds here, don't allow any growth. We see something happening, but the cares of this world, the cares of this popularity of wealth, maybe sports, friendships, relationships, all come before Christ. At one point in your life, you're interested, but not really anymore when you look out at the world and see all that the world has to offer, and you say, that looks better to me. So Jesus, we saw, mentioned two specific things, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. The cares of this world. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 8. In fact, our small group uh, just went through this section on, on Friday. And it's also in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus calls on his followers, but one person says, let me bury my father first. Let me say maybe farewell to my family at home. And, and you see, this kind of seems harsh when you look at it. To, to think about, wow, Jesus, you're, you're telling this person to not worry about burying their father, to, to leave things behind and go and follow you. And, but when we get into it, you realize what he's saying is, I know these things distract you. Some people think maybe even the father hadn't died, but he was just old and advanced in years. And he was just saying, you know what? Let this kind of happen in my family. Then when, when the timing is right, I will follow you. When, it, when the time is just right, I'll come along and I'll put you first in my life. You see, it's putting excuses before putting God first in your life. It's the cares of the world. It's looking out and saying, I want what they have first. Let me test the world. Then when my time is ready, I'll be ready for God. The importance of money always comes up, right? So I think of this idea of riches. I, I think about the rich young ruler. He, he asked Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And he lays out, you know, you, you do all these things, and there's this kind of back and forth through their conversation. And finally, Jesus comes to the real point. And, and he tells them, you know what? I want you to sell what you have and, and give it to the poor. And what does the scripture tell us? It tells us that the rich young ruler turned around and left because he had great wealth. He was seeing the riches and the things that he had and having to give those up. He says, no, I, I can't give that up. I can't sell all that I have. And the rich young ruler turns away. Every one of them distracted by what the world has looking at what the world has to offer instead of what Christ has to offer. This past week in youth group, we kind of had a similar thought on this with the middle schoolers. We were in a passage where it talks about Israel desiring to have a king. They wanted a king so bad to lead them coming out of the judges. And they look out at the world and they see the nations with these kings and they think they're prospering and they're great. But Samuel tells them through God, he says, look, you want a king, but let me tell you, these kings are going to lead you astray. They are going to be evil kings who will just destroy all that you have. And if you know the story of Israel, it goes on, and that's what happened. There were some good kings in there who would lead some revivals, but overall, this poor leadership of, of this nation would lead to their downfall. So as you look out at the world and you think you want these things, 
but the cares of the world will choke you out, and they will leave you with nothing. And then finally, in verse 23, Jesus comes to the last soil, and he says this. He says, as for it was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word. He understands it and indeed bears fruit and yields it in one case hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. So as you've seen, we have disinterested, disingenuine, distracted. And now this last one I'm going to call disciple. Is that a perfect sermon or what? Look at that. They all have the same things. Like, I would be like, that is like, I, that's like perfect. When it all came to me, I was like, it took forever, too, to get some of those words. But look at that. Disciple. It's the one who grows. The one who is in the soil through all these things. It's the one that, remember, bears fruit. It's the only one that actually bears fruit. But not just some, an abundant amount. This person hears the gospel. It takes root in their lives, deep root in their lives. It's a healthy soil. They hear the gospel. They know they need Jesus, and they know they need to change. There is space to grow. There's nothing that's going to choke it out. As I think about this, I was thinking and thinking about Psalm chapter 1 where it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff in the wind that drives them away. So how do we develop this good soil? How do we then go about making sure we are this good soil? What well, says we delight. We meditate on his law and his word day and night. This will put us in a place of being a disciple. You know, there, there's so much to take in through these thoughts. There's so much to take in through these various soils. But as we kind of begin a little recap, we remember that there was only two groups, right? He's talking to the crowd, and he's talking to the disciples. So even though we only have four soils here, I think we still see two groups being taught. I think soils one through three we see as the crowd, the ones who are disinterested, disingenuine, distracted by all that the world has to offer. Remember back in chapter 12, he talked about good fruit, and believers bring good fruit into our lives. So I think it's pretty simple to see then the last fruit is the disciple. The last fruit is the one who understands all that Christ has done for us. So when Jesus talks about falling away with the soil, he's not talking about losing salvation. He's instead talking about someone who is turning away from the gospel and not accepting it in the first place. And if you remember back to the 9 a.m. class this morning, we were talking about those who maybe are even in church but aren't actually saved. He related about the invisible church and the visible church and wondering which one are we as we sit here today. Which soil are you? There are many soils here. Maybe you never care about the gospel. Maybe you're even here and not even caring at all. Maybe you're disingenuous in your faith. You're like, well, I don't really care. I'm only here when it pleases me to have faith. When I get something out of it, I like what Jesus has to offer. Or maybe you look out at the world and you're just blown away by all that the world has to offer. And you say, there's really not that much Christ can bring us. 
or maybe you're the disciple who is totally in love with the gospel, you love Christ, and you want to be more and more and producing an abundant flow after all that he has for us. So as we look at these things and we remember these things, we think about the gospel. That's where every one of these comes about. The seed that is thrown is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that is laid before us on this table here. So as we reflect on his body, which was broken, we reflect on the blood that flowed from the cross for our sins. And we want to be the disciples that grow, that accept his word, and that say, you know what, I want to have an abundance of those producing after myself. I invite the ushers to come forward as we time, come to a time to reflect on this cross. As we remember the cross, it's all that we've been talking about. We talk about the seriousness of sin, the cares of the world, the distraction of riches. And as we come here, we remember Christ. We remember him that, that went upon the cross, that died and took on our punishment for sin. The book of Romans says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'd invite you to take a few moments and reflect and come before Christ and admit your shortcomings, admit your failures before you come to this table. So why don't you spend a few moments quiet in prayer before we approach the table?